The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools and investors seeking promising ag tech startups or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. Special thanks to our title sponsor this season, IGS. Founded in 2013, IGS develops industry 4.0 solutions in the global ag tech and commercial lighting markets. As an industry innovator, they make revolutionary controlled environment growth products. For more information, visit intelligentgrowthsolutions.com. I mean, it's been a fairly circumlocutious route, but I think, you know, every entrepreneur has to hustle and we certainly do that every single day. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders and ag tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast. Welcome back. Episode 7. If you are new to the show, this is the podcast where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of some of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. In case you missed last week's episode, I had a great conversation with Dave Riddell of Clawson Greens. If you haven't listened to it, I definitely recommend you check it out, episode number six. This week, I have a great engaging conversation with Nicola Kurzlecki. Nicola is a registered investment advisor and the founder of Contain, a fintech platform for indoor agriculture that aids indoor farmers in finding lease funding for their projects. This is a high-energy conversation with Nicola, and we discuss the common misconceptions about the indoor ag tech space, access to funding, and how her experience as a manager of private equity funds has contributed to her success in the vertical farming industry. She shares her background story in indoor agriculture, as well as the background story for how she got involved in finance. We learn about lessons she acquired from her work with Techstars, and she details the process of how Contain identifies new companies to work with. We talk about trends and shifts in the indoor ag tech space that Nicola has noticed over the past few years and months. We wrap up with Nicola sharing what excites her most about the future of indoor ag tech and vertical farming, and regular listeners can also hear something Nicola has changed her mind about recently. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, don't forget to leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I did mention that I was going to be reading these out as I received them. So my first shout out is to user Jono Chan, who wrote a fantastic review. Bountifully insightful and inspirational. I've been interested in vertical farming for some time now, and I've been seriously considering creating my own vertical farm and growing a business to benefit my community and local region. This podcast and the incredible people interviewed have inspired me to keep pursuing my dreams and always leaves me excitedly awaiting each new episode. Thank you so much for this opportunity to learn and get excited about vertical farming. Thank you so much for that heartfelt review, Jono Chan. I truly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Okay, this is a really great conversation with Nicola, so let's get into it. So Nicola Kurzlake, founder of Contain, thank you so much for joining us on Vertical Farming Podcast. 
Thanks for having us. So, Nicola, we are in the, the midst of COVID. We're towards the end of May when this is being recorded. So I'm wondering, just for some context, it's affected businesses in varying degrees. So I'm wondering if we could just start off by checking to see how, personally, how you're doing and then how, you, how your business is going and, and what the past couple of months have been like. Sure. So it's been an interesting couple of months, I think, for everyone. We've been extremely fortunate on a couple of levels. Firstly, as a team, we always work remotely. Our headquarters was always Slack. And so day to day, not much change for the team. And then in addition, we saw just this huge jump in interest in indoor agriculture. So I feel like most of my friends are complaining about being bored in lockdown and we have just never been busier. So, and I think that's one of the real positives that's going to come out of this is a renewed interest in, in vertical farming. So can you talk a little bit about Contain, how long the company's been around and the background for the benefit of the listener? Uh, sure. So Contain is a fintech platform that's dedicated to indoor agriculture. So we work with indoor farmers of all stripes, folks growing in greenhouse and warehouse in container farms. And they're often growing everything from produce to hemp to aquaponics. We do a fair amount with those guys, insects, and occasionally things like mushrooms as well. And the way that we work is typically vendors, so folks who are selling greenhouse equipment or LED lights or HVAC will send their customers over to us at the point where they're ready to start building their or expanding their farm. And we work with the farmers to understand their business plan and then to help them find lease financing. We work with a pool of currently 15 lenders. And those range from small two-person shops on the West Coast through to through to big brand names that, that most folks will have, have heard of. And at the point where the lender puts an agreement in place with the farmer, we take an arrangement fee. So that's how we get paid. I've been involved in indoor agriculture for, gosh, seven years now. I got involved almost by accident. I was driving across the country and stayed at an off-the-grid community and saw this rudimentary hydroponic system. And it just seemed to me like something that could change the world. And I kept coming back to that. Um, at the time, I couldn't find anyone who was doing this commercially. The pot guys at the time were mostly underground. And a friend of mine, another VC, said, you know, why don't you have an event and just wait and see who shows up? He said, in the early days of mobile, that's what we used to do. And so almost by accident, I ended up founding Indoor AgCon, which we grew from one small event in Las Vegas to having events in Las Vegas, New York, and Singapore. And what I learned through that experience is that the biggest challenge that indoor farmers face is not necessarily technical or growing. It's just they can't finance their farms. And so that looked like a problem that I could solve for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I'd got to know pretty much everyone through Indoor AgCon. And so we knew the vendors, we knew the growers and we understood enough about the industry. And then in addition, the most of my background is in finance. And having lived in four countries, often in countries where there weren't developed financial systems, this just looked like another finance geek problem. And that's something that, that I knew how to do. So we started to contain in earnest really a couple of years ago. And it's been a really interesting experience. We went to Techstars last year and received investment from Cargill and Ecolab through that. And that's allowed us to develop some neat technology that uses algorithms to match growers with lenders. What was so many things to, to dig into? So let's start with Indoor AgCon. 
Was there anything at the time that was similar or what was the need that you were looking to fill in terms of getting all these folks from the indoor agricultural space together in one area? Well, I mean, when we first started it in 2013, there really wasn't such a thing as the indoor agriculture industry. I mean, there had obviously hydroponics have been around forever. But that first event that we had in Las Vegas, we had preppers who seemed kind of esoteric at the time. And now everyone's following their blogs and um, is uh, fascinating. They have reality, reality shows now. Yeah, but they were one of the first groups to really understand the, the potential of the industry. I met Nate Story, who built and sold Bright Agritech to Plenty and is now at Plenty, that first event. And then folks like Chris Higgins at Hort Americas. So there were the seeds of something, but it wasn't super clear what it was going to turn into at that point. And I think the common bond between everyone was that we were all being told we were crazy for even looking at this. And that's obviously changed dramatically over time. But at that point, there really wasn't such a thing as the indoor ag industry. And talk a little bit about how you ended up in in finance. So... Gosh, I was, uh, I graduated from Oxford. Half of my class went into politics and half of us went into finance because that's what you do. And I actually went to Procter & Gamble for a year and did brand management, which is an experience that, that at the time I really didn't enjoy and now keeps coming back to me and has been super helpful in all kinds of ways. I mean, how do you brand an event when you don't have experience of doing that kind of thing? But it really wasn't something that I wanted to do. And then some friends of mine who were in the city said, you know, you should really be an analyst. I kept getting told you should be an analyst. And I was invited to go meet with some folks at ABN AMRO in London, walked onto a dealing floor and thought, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. It just had this energy. And if you're a geek, markets are endlessly fascinating. There's no two days that are alike. And you're really in the past few months as well, you're just chatting with folks I've known for a long time in the markets. This is simultaneously horrifying what's going on. And if you're a finance geek, this is fascinating stuff. This is um, stuff you've only historically seen in models. What's interesting is that all your passions started to merge in a way that led to where you are right now. And, and it feels like all the experience you've had with PNG in finance and, and even putting indoor icon together, they seem to like perfectly have let all roads have led to what you're doing now with Contain. And it seems like you're pulling a bit from each of those skill sets for what, what you're doing on a day-to-day basis there. Well, I mean, it's been a fairly circumlocutious route, but I think, you know, every entrepreneur has to hustle. And we certainly do that every single day. We're constantly thinking about, you know, so what, what could we do better? What could we do more of? How do we take advantage of any given situation? And I think you draw on what whatever experiences you've had. And I'm incredibly fortunate that we that I have folks I've been in touch with for 15, 20 years who have, have stuck their hand up and said, yeah, sure, we'll help you with this or have thrown in their, their opinion. So we've been really fortunate to have some great mentors along the way as well. It seems like you have a, a personal passion for this as well, because you mentioned earlier that you had stayed at an off-the-grid community. So I'm wondering, what was the pull there? And has, has that always been something that's that's intrigued you? So I ran, my last kind of big corporate gig was running the real assets and private equity platform for a group called SEI Investments, which runs, I don't know, several hundred billion dollars in mostly mutual fund assets. And one of the things I learned as I was putting together this real assets platform is there just weren't good ways to invest in agriculture. There were three or four farmland funds that you could as an institutional quality farmland funds, but there wasn't much else. And I was really interested that why was there so little and what was going on 
that was more interesting. And so when I left that position, I had to drive across the country anyway. And it just seemed like there were, and, I, and for the first time in a long time, I had some time. And so I figured I'd take six weeks and just go see what was out there. Now, if anyone's going to do that, don't do it in a BMW because some of these <laughs> some of these communities are not wild about people showing up in uh, um, uh, yeah. But by and large, I met some amazing people who had just really different worldviews, and that's really what I needed at that point was to to see what else was out there. And I was looking at energy as well and you know, how alternate energy could fit into some of these systems. And it's fascinating watching that whole theme come back around now. From the time you spent in this space and having to educate newcomers, new investors to this space, what are some of the top misconceptions people have about the indoor ag tech space? So I think the biggest one, just on the finance side, is probably that the only path to success is through VC and through going out and essentially looking for big brand name investors. There's plenty of paths to success that don't require that. I think there's also a perception that this is an industry that's just about the economics of leafy greens. And that's certainly something when we talk to investors a lot there, uh, they want to be persuaded that that leafy greens can be economic in these systems. And I think there's an argument to say that, but it's also just not about that. There's so much more that is interesting. I mean, to me, what's much more interesting about this industry is how do you take food ingredient crops and use the ability to grow them in um, indoor systems as a way to reconfigure global food supply chains, which seemed like a crazy notion three months ago and now is something that we get to about all the time. When it, and That's exciting. And, and we have a couple of episodes coming up thanks to some introductions you've made. So I'm, I'm really excited to have those conversations, especially around the, the topic of raising insects and, and, and mushrooms, which a lot of people don't think about when they think about vertical farming. To your point, they think about the leafy greens. But I think what you've probably seen and discovered is that the market and the opportunities are only as limited as, as your imagination in terms of like where, where you want to focus your energies and your business. Well, and the other theme that we've seen just recently is that what we saw in kind of the first wave of venture capital was folks funding the cheapest lettuce, essentially. The, how do you use technology? How do you use farming techniques? How do you use plant biology to a lesser extent to get to the point where you can reach field parity, which feels like a phrase that was everything three years ago and now no one talks about. That was kind of the first wave. The next wave is how do you use automation to reduce costs and to manage labor? And with some AI kind of overlay as well. What we've seen recently, just in the past three, four months, is alternate crops getting funded. So Beta Hatch just did a, who I think you're going to uh, speak with Virginia soon, Beta Hatch just did a $3 million round. Uh, we're also seeing a big pickup in Europe. So Intelligent Growth Solutions, which is a Scottish firm, got a, a decent sized round last year and just announced some expansion into Dubai. But then we're also seeing a number of insect players in, in Europe do really well. So it's fascinating that at a time when people are complaining that the markets are not open to them, in fact, for indoor farmers who are doing something interesting, a different type of model, the markets are really open. How beneficial was the time you spent with Techstars and what were some of the takeaways you had from working with that team? 
So we were super skeptical about accelerators in general initially. And Brett Boll, who runs the that farm to fork program in in St. Paul, reached out to us through some some uh, mutual friends. And my initial comment to him was like, I'm not moving a, a team who have a families and pets and babies and uh, in one case a turtle. I'm not moving them to St. Paul. It's not going to happen. And he said, let me set up an information call for you. And he put someone fairly senior at Cargill and some Ecolab folks on the call. And the first question that the Cargill representative asked was, how do you do crop insurance in this sector? And I thought, whoa, there's someone who not only understands what we're trying to do, but gets indoor farming as well. And so that completely changed our worldview. And we managed to figure out a way to make it work for the team without being too intrusive. So we actually had a great summer in St. Paul. People always talk about mentors as being the best part of Techstars, and I don't think our experience was, was any different. We had some really fascinating mentors who we keep in touch with to this day. So we had Richard Cargill, who's the essentially the millennial representative on the Cargill board of the family, who just has this amazing strategic worldview. And we had a a chap called Jim Leslie who built and sold a business to Microsoft, who's an incredible fundraiser and taught us a lot about fundraising and how to interact with investors, amongst many other things. He was also super helpful in helping us think through strategy. And then uh, we had folks like um, Aaron Newsom from Compare, uh, Compare Bank, who was great at Every time we threw a crazy idea at him saying, well, no, no, no mainline banks are going to go for that. Or, well, actually, this might kind of work. So we got really lucky on that front. And then I think as well, just the experience of being away and in different environment. It's almost like being at college for four months, which you know, we had a, a setup such that we did our textile stuff and our lives were, were taken care of when we went home. And, and that's just really unique. I don't think you get those kind of opportunities often in life. And how did you find St. Paul? I'm actually a new transplant. I'm I'm actually this calls from Minneapolis <laughs> on my side. I lived in New York and I lived in LA, so it's the first time I'm in the the middle of the country. So I'm wondering what your experience was. So we had a blast. I mean, we where we had our apartments were just off this kind of little restaurant strip in St. Paul there, and so it was awesome going to see like the, all the local brew pubs and. I feel like we really didn't take advantage of it. Like I never went to Prince's house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were we were crazy busy with eggs. But have you been yet, or you you're still? No, I haven't. No Paisley Park. No. So there are certain things I wish I'd done, but it just seems like a a really neat area. And I think it's I don't know if you're finding the same, but we're seeing this revival in smaller cities in yeah. non major cities and for places like St Paul and Minneapolis seem really well positioned for that. Yeah. So you. Spent the four months with Techstars and then talk a little bit about the timing relative to Contain. As Were you in the ramp up phase or as you were leaving Techstars and getting ready to kind of put the move full forward with Contain, where, where were you at? Sure. So we'd already, we met a lot of farmers at that point. We'd done some deals and so we were operating. I think what Techstars allowed us to do was um, really two things. Think about the bigger picture, the kind of world domination plan. And in addition, it allowed us to build some tech around what we'd done. So what we did is we took the data and the understanding that we had from interacting with just over 300 farmers at that point, and we used it to create an automated leasing platform. So we essentially used it to create some algorithms. And that sets us up to to scale pretty quickly. So we've been able to onboard more lenders as a consequence without 
adding much in the way of cost or in, in time for the team. And it also allowed us to lay out this kind of tech plan that we are now executing. So part of what we've been doing during lockdown, or at least what Chris, our tech lead, has been putting together is some neat new tech stuff that we're super excited about uh, getting to launch, hopefully in the fall. It takes a while to, to get through testing. So can you talk a little bit about what you look for or how you begin to work with companies that are in the early stages? What stages are you seeing companies and what's the process for them to start to engage with Contain? So about 80% of the folks we deal with are new farmers. They have never farmed indoors before. And though we do see a fair number of folks who are either existing outdoor farmers or existing indoor farmers looking to expand. So we, we kind of deal with both sides. The typical point at which we can actually help is when you have your farm planned out and you are executing a game plan. So when you get to the point, normally six to 12 months after you first meet your vendors, when you get to the point where you say, okay, this is my equipment list, this is what I'm going to do, and I've either secured my site or I have pretty good visibility into securing that site, that's normally the point at which we're best placed to help you. Now, we're always happy to chat with people at, at earlier stages, but lenders don't work like equity investors or like private investors. They have checklists and black boxes that they use, and you are not going to be able to charm them or impress them with your vision into committing earlier. They typically want to see that you already have your ducks in a row, that you know I always compare it to, it's a little like going to a mortgage lender and saying, I would like to buy a house in theory. I can't tell you where it is, how much it's going to cost, or or indeed how much deposit I have to put down. But I'd just like you to give me a you know a loan for a mortgage right now. So it's simply you've got to you've got to know the specifics of what you're doing. And how much of that is education on their part? And maybe they come to you and they may not be ready to engage with you, but there's some steps that they could take to, to better prepare themselves for six months, 12 months down the line to, to revisit. Sure. So we get kind of two questions on that front. One is, you know, can you tell us which equipment vendor to use? And we don't. We're Switzerland. If someone says, you know, I want to build the specific sort of greenhouse and you know, are there anyone on your vendor list who could help? Sure, we'll refer them to the two or three folks on our vendor list for whom that's their thing. And then the second one is essentially, can you build my business plan for me? Now, no is the answer that we're not equipped to do it and it's not, no one can build your business plan for you. There are some great tools out there now though. And so we often just refer folks over to those and we're really excited to see some of the new tools that are being developed on the education side. So I think Agritecture you spoke with recently and they've done some interesting stuff on, on allowing people to plan out their farm on their system, which is, you know, that's really neat to have those kinds of tools. And then the other thing we always encourage folks to do is if you're not farming right now, figure out a way to farm, even if it's in your garage. Just figure out a way to do something and start selling something. And it doesn't matter if it's at the local farmer's market or it's you know to one local restaurant or it's to your brother-in-law. It really doesn't matter. The What matters is the experience of having a customer and of being expected to deliver week on week. And the vast majority of the successful farms that we see have gone that route. What's interesting about that, it's almost a mindset and expectation of how serious they are about this business. And I can see how something like that would be extremely valuable, even if it's to your point, something from the garage, but that discipline and that dedication to get up every day and to deliver a, a quality product to a customer. In your mind, the reason you give that advice is because you've seen that that's what you need in order to succeed in this business. Is that correct? 
So, you know, the pattern recognition of success today is really you start off small, you do something that's little in scale. There's a group in Seattle that had literally started in a garage. That's why I was thinking about that because I remember discussing it earlier with him when he was converting his garage at his, and his wife was not best pleased. And, <laughs> and he went on to sell that business to a fairly large distribution company. So you start off small, you make your mistakes small and early and figure out what you're good at and you're bad at. You know, Plenty started in a container farm on the Google campus. You know, People think that Plenty started in a large vertical farm. They didn't. They started really small and they spent a lot of time understanding what was good about their produce, what advantages they had before they went on to, to expand. So we encourage folks to start that small. The other thing is you know, farming's hard and you don't want to, you don't want to go all in until you know it's what you want. And it's really different. It's a little like folks who are, there's a huge difference between doing something as a hobby and doing something because it's fun and doing it day to day and trying to make a commercial success of it. And so I think it helps to make a, a small commitment first and to figure out if it, if it's really what you want to do. And then what we then see is, you know, the customer falls in love with the product, it's sold out and they come back and they say, look, can you do this at 10 times the scale? And that's when you get to scale up into your your dream farm and and then continue to to grow from there. That point's really interesting about dedication. How much consideration do you put into a deal uh, in terms of where the farmer is and how on board their partner is or their family is? And I would imagine because of the investment that it takes, are those questions that you ask or are you just focused on the farmer that you're having the interaction with? Because I would imagine it would be something that would affect family life in terms of how bought in they are to this. Sure. And so lenders really don't, you know, lenders have checklists and it's not super, those kinds of questions are more what equity guys ask about. However, we see the gamut of, of human behavior. We see the divorces, the bankruptcies, the successes, you know, the, I just had two kids and, and this is now what I want to do. So we do end up getting a little involved in that. But the reality is that most lenders want to see a solid equity base. They want to see enough deposit going down to know that you have skin in the game. And they want to see that you have customers committed to this. And then collateral as well, is that, which is kind of the corollary of the equity base. That tends to be what they're interested in. We have a couple of lenders that we work with who do get a little more involved in what does the corporation look like. But I've never had, I can't honestly say I've ever had a lender say, ask me about someone's family. And that's probably good, right? You probably don't want your, your finance folks up in your business. <laughs> that's true. Can you talk a little bit about the, the distribution? You mentioned uh, aquaponics, insects, but what are you seeing in terms of trends and if it was different pre-COVID and, and currently now in terms of the mix of the types of farms? So I'd say the big thing that we've, the big shift that we've seen just in the past couple of months is in customers' willingness to interact with folks. So it used to be that you pretty much had to just sell your your product on the spot market and you just got whatever pricing you got. Now we're seeing uh, particularly regional supermarkets stepping up and saying, okay, we're going to do a couple of years contract here. The other thing that we haven't seen yet, but we're hearing rumblings of are more partnerships, which have really been led by Bright Farms. So their, their model is essentially we go to a supermarket chain and we will grow for them and we'll dedicate a greenhouse to their needs and we'll grow a slate of products for them. And Square Roots is doing something that's kind of similar but different with Gordon Food Services. 
And so I think we're going to see more of those kinds of arrangements, particularly with regional players who are now recognizing that local is going to be ever more important than than it even than it has been to uh, their consumers, but also who are concerned about their supply chains. So were there a lot of folks in this space when you started Contain or have you been able to carve out a niche in terms of your specialty and, and the fact that you're focused uh, on this industry? Sure. So when we first started Contain, I actually spent six months cold calling to find a lender who would work with us. And we eventually found one small leasing shop on the West Coast who said, you know, I saw a um, I saw a container farm with my son last weekend. They seem really cool and we're having a good year. Yeah, why not? We'll give you a shot. That's changed dramatically. I mean, now you have uh, much bigger players involved in the industry. You know, for us, I think the advantages that we bring for farmers are that you're not going to have to stop and explain the industry to us. We had we had one farmer who came to us who'd been working with a lender for four months on a deal. And then it fell through because the underwriters couldn't understand what he was doing with LED lights in the farm. He said They said it can't be a farm deal. He's using LED lights. By definition, it can't be. So all of our lenders are you know, understand the industry. We spend a fair amount of time with them, helping them understand the vendors and the marketplace. And then with the farmers themselves as well, we're able to give them access to 15 lenders at once. So we're not wasting their time of you've got to go through this process over and over and over again. But there are many more sources of funding than there were when we we first started. And actually, that's great for us because you never want to be 100% of a deal. You always want to get to share it with someone. And so, you know, we're excited by some of the, the government funding initiatives that are happening now. It's nice that now that there's an office of, I think it's called Urban Ag and innovative production at USDA that there might be more government funding support on the lending side as well. So, you know, for us, having more folks out there who are interested in the industry and who are able to lend and able to work with these growers is is an advantage, not a disadvantage. And what's the timeline for when a business starts to engage with you from the minute they they have that first meeting to where, you know, realistically, if everything, all the ducks line up in a row that they could look to secure funding? So if they needed to do it quickly, and it's a simple case, then we could probably get it done in a couple of weeks. We have never had anyone who needs to do it that quickly. Other folks, you know, we've been talking with them on and off for 18 months at this point. I mean, building a farm is not an insignificant endeavor. And so it just takes time. And that's, you know, why it helps that we have seen so many growers at this point, because we have, you know, we have some some pattern recognition in terms of what works and what what doesn't work. Do you get involved at all in in how they spend the money or did they come to you with a pretty solid business plan and marketing plan? Uh, so we we would never tell a grower how to to manage their business. I mean they you know that's not our expertise. I'd say you know there's a dream scenario and then there's a a nightmare scenario. The dream scenario is someone comes in and says, you know, I've been growing for a couple of years and 2 years is kind of the magic limit. Um, once you've got two years of track record, your attractiveness to lenders jumps dramatically. So they come in and they said, we've been growing for a couple of years. Our customer is now asking us to triple our output. And here's our stats. We've called our vendor. Here's our equipment list. And here are our financials. And here the here's the collateral we've got. That's kind of the dream scenario. The nightmare scenario is we've never grown before. We kind of know what we're going to grow, but we'd also like you to find us a grower. We are looking for $10 million and we've got $100,000 to put down and here's a 70-page business plan. So there's, you know, and there's extremes. No one has an absolutely clean deal, but there's extremes between those. And there's really not much that you can do for the folks in the, 
in the latter category. And we don't get involved in in writing the business plan. We work, will occasionally say, look, this business plan is just never going to fly with a lender. So it might be an idea to go clean it up a bit. Is it safe to say you've seen the gamut of both those scenarios? Yes. I mean, and again, you know, you, we came back to like how much passion you have for the industry. If you really want to do this, then ditch the $10 million plan and, and start growing in your garage. Uh, a couple of questions as we wrap up. It's obvious that you seem to have found the perfect job for you, given all the experience you've had and the passions you've had and, and, and the jobs you've had in the past. I'm curious what has you most excited uh, of all the things we've mentioned or anything we haven't mentioned in terms of uh, what's happening with this industry, indoor ag, vertical farming, what comes to mind? Gosh, there's so much. I mean, as you probably know, the life of an entrepreneur is not smooth sailing. So the thing that keeps me going is really a couple of different things. On the industry itself, seeing new crops come into into ag is really exciting to me. I just saw something the other day on a wasabi grower in Austria. And you know, wasabi is fascinating to me as as a crop. So that kind of stuff, just you know, being able to geek out on that is is really fun. And then also seeing uh, seeing folks that we've worked with do well. I mean that that's really why you do it to see the them you know being able to support their families and getting these great stories back about oh you know we've been sold out for the past 3 months and that's really motivating and then on the finance side the a lot of what we're thinking through is to where the financial infrastructure of the industry goes and some of the technologies that we're able to bring to bear to help that are really are really interesting and I'm being intentionally vague about that because that's some stuff we're going to start rolling out um, fairly soon, but there's just so much. I mean, our, our goal is really to be to create the financial infrastructure that this industry needs to thrive. And discovering that we don't have to do it the way that you did a decade ago—that there's all kinds of cool stuff that we can do—is really neat. Very cool. Uh, personal question: What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Um, so one that we actually that that's kind of a, a bit broader is the, the presupposition is that because I'm a, a female entrepreneur, that I must be super into marketing and not technical is not true. I actually code a fair amount. And I hacked together pretty much all of the back end for what we did at Indoor AgCon, which we don't talk about much. But one of the the realizations that Chris and I had really over the past six months is that we don't necessarily need to build anywhere near as much as we thought we did. So a lot of the tech build has become about building partnerships, not about necessarily the purest of code. And so that's definitely something that that I've changed my mind about recently. And then the other is really this whole government funding piece, which we always thought was not super interesting. And now with some of the initiatives that we're seeing around things like Buy Fresh and which is a, a project they're going out and they're purchasing produce from folks and, and repurposing it and delivering it to food banks and some other groups. That's been really interesting and thinking through how do you combine government with market funding. That's a really interesting one. Again, I'm being intentionally vague because we're working on a couple of different things there. But but that's certainly, you know, a year ago, I would never have thought we'd be even thinking about that. Well, that's just all the more reason for folks to, to stay tuned and continue to follow what, what's happening at Contain because it sounds like you've got some interesting things coming uh, down the pike and some projects and plans that, that are in the works. And, and so I think it sounds like it's something that anyone in, in this space is going to want to keep a close eye on. I hope so. I mean, we'll we'll mess stuff up along the way, but uh, <laughs> but hopefully, folks will stick in there with us, and hopefully, we'll be able to help the industry. Is there anything I didn't ask about the business? I don't think so. 
I think this was this was good. So where's the best place for folks to learn more about Contain and to in- engage and ask questions as needed? Uh, sure. So um, our website is contain.ag. And you can apply there. There's some more information on the site. You can actually start your application via chatbot there if that's your thing. And some folks just email or call us. And our email address is hello at contain.ag. So people still actually use the telephone nowadays. (laughs) Um, some, Some folks. Well, Nicola, thank you so much for taking the time, uh, sharing the story and, and your personal journey on, on how you got here. I thought that was just as fascinating to learn how you built Contain. I'm really excited about the opportunities in this space and the work that you're doing to help new companies get funding, because I think now more than ever, there's a lot of people with great ideas. And I think with your support and your company support, I think helping them see their dreams become a reality is probably one of the most satisfying things for you as a, as a company. So thanks for, for sharing that. Yep. And thanks. Thanks so much for having us today. So thanks again to Nicola for sharing her insights about the financing field in vertical farming. As you no doubt heard, her energy level is high, and I really enjoyed this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. As always, special thanks to our season one sponsor, Intelligent Growth Solutions podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. If your company would like to understand how a podcast can help build your brand, sign up for a free call at fullcast.co forward slash chat one five. Make sure you tune in next week for my engaging conversation with Virginia Emery of Beta Hatch. If you don't know Beta Hatch, then you're going to be educated and entertained to learn a lot about exactly what it takes to become an insect entrepreneur. (laughs) I'll just leave it at that. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Vertical Farming Podcast. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To hear all past episodes and read the episode summaries, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.